You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Uh, so we're going to start with a little bit of science today. Um, I am not a scientist. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, but what I have learned through a little bit of research and hopefully a credible website is that scientists largely agree that our universe is not only expanding, it is expanding at an increasingly fast rate. The gain in momentum defines scientific logic and has captured and held the imagination of people all over the world for decades. What should have slowed or even come to a stop is still moving. It's still expanding our minds as it expands itself. And in many ways, this process mirrors the story of God. What started as a promise to one man, Abraham, expanded to his family, then to his descendants, then to their nation, and now today, the day after Epiphany, to the breadth and width of the world. And this is no small feat. I don't know if you know this, but it is uh, not human nature to go broad when we have the option to stay narrow. So God has worked with humans against human nature to create something that is continuing to expand at an increasingly fast rate. And we get to spend some time with that idea today. So Epiphany is the morning that we mark God's self-revelation to the Gentiles, represented by the narrative of the wise men who sought to pay homage to the baby king. And while we don't know much about them, I do know this. Everything changed when they decided to embark on their journey to Jesus. Epiphany defies religious logic. After all, how can you have an out-group and an in-group if there's no longer an out-group? In our epistle reading, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, the Ephesian church was majority Gentile, and if that is a new term to you, that means they were not Jewish. That's all that means. Sounds like something else. That's not what it means. These were not lifelong Jews who heard about Jesus and believed that he was the one that they were waiting for. They were people in various religious traditions, either uh, polytheistic, uh, either no religious background whatsoever, there were people who heard what Paul had taught directly or through a retelling and decided that what that guy had to say sounded good to them. Ephesus was a prominent city because it was the location of the temple of the Greek god Artemis. Uh, goddess, excuse me. Artemis was the goddess of the wilderness. It's a weird mix. Are you ready for this one? The wilderness, chastity, childbirth, and the moon. She was the twin sister of Apollo, the daughter of Zeus, one of the most influential and highly revered goddesses among women of the time. So those who chose to leave her behind in favor of this strange and new idea that Paul presented risked becoming social pariahs. A great deal of the city's economic success came from the production of Artemis statues and from temple fees and maintenance, and we all know that when you uh, potentially impact somebody's income, it doesn't usually sit well with that person. 
The church at Ephesus were filled with people who chose to follow Paul's teachings often over their own family systems, friendships, and employment. And it is to them that Paul wrote these words. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. As I was thinking about what that might have meant to the Ephesians as someone who, again, loves to celebrate and mark um, big things just for the joy of it, I honestly got a little disappointed because there's this huge shift in God's mode of operation. The disillusion of division between Jews and literally everyone else. And the Ephesians probably didn't grasp what a monumental change this really was. They didn't grow up seeped in Jewish law and culture and food and language. They didn't grow up observing rituals of clean and unclean. They didn't avoid what the Jews had been instructed to avoid. They didn't rest on one full day like the Jews were commanded to rest. And yes, they absolutely understood the loss and the sacrifice involved in leaving one system of beliefs for another, but they could not grasp what it was like to avoid entire groups of people, cities, foods, in the name of worshiping your God. And it was a little bit of a letdown. (laughs) So I did what I don't often like to do, and I turned my attention to Paul I've alluded to my uh, complicated relationship with Paul in a previous sermon, and I owe it to you to clarify why, uh, considering he authored uh, such a large portion of the scripture that we uh, study. Paul, or rather a misinterpretation of Paul's words, kept me and a lot of other women out of ministry for a very long time. A mistranslation of Paul's words have irreparably harmed queer people for a very long time. Not all of Paul's words are directly applicable today. And that would get me banned from a lot of pulpits, and I made my peace with that a long time ago. Because Paul actually advocated for women and for the protection of queer people in a way that was incredibly uncommon for his time. If you have a decent amount of familiarity with the Bible and now you're flipping through your internal catalog wondering where that happened and you just can't find the scripture that proves that, fear not. You didn't miss it. Uh, It's found in the context. In the near future, I'm going to host a three-week-ish class on the theology around women in ministry, LGBTQIA plus inclusion, and the validity and calling into ministry, much of which is informed by Paul. That said, 
It's hard to make peace with Paul when appreciating him came with a tremendous amount of unlearning about what he did and did not believe. And so, in that unlearning and in the light of Epiphany, my thoughts turned to Paul. Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, was also Paul, the great unlearner. He, perhaps more than any other person in Scripture, had to do a theological 180 in response to this great mystery that he wrote about. The Ephesians didn't share the background that would have been required to grasp this staggering reorientation, but Paul did. If you aren't familiar with Paul's previous life, he was an up-and-coming star among the religious elite of Judaism. He found and arrested and killed Jews who embraced Jesus as the Messiah. This man who went from town to town and synagogue to synagogue synagogue teaching about Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension started out going town to town, synagogue to synagogue, with letters of arrest for anyone that he found practicing faith in Christ. Friends, if anyone could appreciate the gravity of Epiphany's Uno reverse, it was Paul. He lived and he breathed it, dedicated his life to it, and that is part of the beauty of our faith. That is the mystery made known by Christ. What might start out straightforward and simple an outline with the promise of filling in at a later time can expand and fill and rewrite a thousand times over. That is the journey and evolution of our belief. And while we may see clearly in hindsight the arc of scripture that expands, there were always clues that God's love would not be contained to an in-group. Abraham worshipped Mesopotamian gods before he was called into relationship with God. When God first spoke to Abraham, God told him that all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. The Old Testament prophets talked about a light who would come and welcome all nations into the house of God. The lineage of Jesus, recorded in the first words of the New Testament, names the Gentile woman who share in his history. And a star called out to three Gentile magi who carried with them gifts for a king that they never named as their own. They gave gold, a symbol of royalty, frankincense, a symbol of deity, and myrrh, a symbol of the frailty of humanity. Paul did the work to listen and see and interpret, and he wrote about the inclusion of the Gentiles with tenderness and care and joy. Paul gave his freedom and eventually his life to ensure that the love of God was made unreservedly available to anyone and to everyone, even though that meant he had to come to terms with his old way of thinking. It is easy for me to come here and stand before you and tell you that a theology of love and inclusion was always God's plan. That's the fun part of my job. It is much harder for me to stand before you and tell you that I didn't always believe that to be true. 
That's the not fun part of my job. My beliefs have changed and grown. They've made space for an open-handed approach to faith. And for me, there's just not an outgroup anymore. And while I don't have to reconcile the extremes of my past in the same way that Paul did, I still live with the pain that my belief system hurt and harmed people who deserved acceptance and belonging. And that keeps me up at night. Like Paul, I was wholly convinced that I understood who was in and who was out. I see a lot of myself in who Paul was. No wonder we have a complicated relationship. My kids have the benefit of having parents who believe that God's love is pure enough and compelling enough and powerful enough and cosmic enough to flow in every single heart through all of time. And not all of us had that growing up. Not all of us have made that shift. If you want to get there, but the baggage and the fear of betraying your upbringing or getting it wrong or just flat out being a heretic has you stuck, I get that. That is a hard shift to make. I wonder if there were moments where Paul got that too. I am pretty convinced that he also had some late nights thinking about who he was and who he had become. If you want to challenge or expand your theology around gender equality and religious traditions, ins and outs, join me for my class. I'll let you know when we get some dates. If you are the Ephesian in the story, and this is all pretty new, and you're trying to wrap your mind around it, you're just along for some wild ride you're not sure that you signed up for, welcome. We're happy you're here. Epiphany points to expansion. And even though it's kind of a wild ride, you get to be a part of that. UBC, may we listen and listen well when the Spirit speaks a new work in and among us so that we may expand into where she would have us go. May we look for God's inclusion to all people knowing that the threads of that yes have been woven into the narrative for centuries. May we find new and creative ways to share God's love with those who feel like they are in the outgroup. And may we lovingly invite them to the realization that they've always been in. This is the work of Epiphany, and this is the charge to our church. We're going to take some time practice together the communal uh, gift of silence, allow God to come and speak something new, uh, to correct what I may have said incorrectly, uh, to reflect, but we get to do that together as the Spirit forms and shapes us.